Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, entitled, Fatigue of the Soul. Over the Word of God, you got a Bible with you? You're going to need to turn to the book of Haggai. Haggai is easily found if you know where Matthew is. Matthew, Matthew, turn to the left, you go to Malachi. One more left, Zechariah. One more left, Haggai. So, um, minor prophets are tough. I said, I, I went to a nice little Baptist church that taught me the, the Old Testament song, and I knew it because I passed that. They checked it off of my little book. Yeah. Yeah. But 50-something um, years later, I don't remember. The, I can name all the books. I cannot name them in order, though. But I, I still find myself, and it's not a reason the pastor doesn't know the order, therefore I don't have to name the order. No, I didn't say that. I just said that my brain isn't working that way anymore and, and you know what I what I use as an excuse don't tell anybody but they're not in chronological order anyway and I just want to know the chronology of the thing and so it's just it's a very scholarly reason that I don't know the order of the so I am reading through the through the Bible this year and I, if if anyone would like to join me I am reading through the Bible chronologically there are chronological Bibles out there just for a change of pace for me I read through the Bible about one and a half times a year and so I'm up to 30 or something times through through the Bible but I've never done it chronologically. Chronologically is very interesting, and um, uh, just a, an interesting twist. But however you read the Bible, read it. Uh, you want to start in the back, read to the front. You want to start in the middle, read to the back, and read both directions. I, I don't think it matters near as much as that you're in the Word. The Word is God speaking to us, and so we're going to let Him speak to us today. Haggai chapter 1 we were in last time, and we're going to be in chapter 2, and there's only two chapters. So we're going to be seeing pretty much all of Haggai together. Um, we're going to be there in just a second. Chapter 2, verses 1, one through 3. You're familiar with uh, the um, motivational posters. You've been in, probably in jobs where the break room or the lunch room or whatever has these motivational posters. You see them in um, maybe bosses' offices and stuff like that. Stuff like this, even though this isn't very clear. Uh, like this one that says teamwork. Or um, this one says believe in yourself, right? So you're familiar with uh, motivational posters. Have you ever seen D? Motivational posters, like the stuff to, here's some of the, my favorites. Instead of achievement, here's underachievement. Because soaring with the eagles requires so much effort. Or here's a dead deer on the side of the road labeled optimism. Someone, by the way, bothered to hang a balloon on her that says get well soon, and optimism it says underneath there. Some, sometimes it's too little too late. And um, speaking of sometimes, here's a sometimes poster. Uh, I can remember doing this as a kid. Now the kid on the last, the last kid over there, you see him there? It says sometimes it's just too late to resign. And um, certainly that's it. Here's, here's the one that is sort of my life story. Practice. No matter how much you do it, you're still probably just not that good. And here's one I sent to a daughter of mine, of ours. Never give up. Never try to stop exceeding your limits. We need the entertainment. <laughs> I bet you can guess which one I sent it to. We got one all the time we say, you need to write a blog, sweetie. We think you're, you're very entertaining. That's her, the things that happened to her. Demotivation, we laugh at these things because we understand what it means to be will lack motivation. We also understand what it means to be discouraged and how difficult that is. And though it's, 
it's certainly not laughable uh, to be sure, especially in, if you're in a place of discouragement. And discouragement is where we're finding the children of Israel today here in this second chapter. So if you were with us last time, you saw we started with the children of Israel there in Haggai who had gotten their priorities out of line. They'd been close to 20 years back in the land, and God had sent them back to the land, even though being in exile for 70 years, sent them back to the land so they, they could restore the temple worship, which meant, of course, restore the temple. And the temple had been destroyed 70-some-odd years before. God sent them back. They, they, didn't, they didn't cease to be Jews when the temple was destroyed. They didn't cease to have a, a, a religion. The problem that it is is that the worship of God was not fully restored until the temple was, and so he sends them back. And so now what we find here in Haggai, they've been there for approximately 20 years, and guess what they haven't done? They have not built the temple. The whole crazy reason why he sent them back they had not accomplished, and they kept coming out with excuses. Well, I've got to build my crops, and I've got to build my business, and I need a home for my kids. And, uh, and like I said last time, don't you think God knows all that? So you're making excuses for not putting him first for things that he already knows he needs to take care of for you? Put him first and watch how he works. So anyway, they, they, they took the message of Haggai to heart in chapter 1. They got their act together. They started moving in the direction of building the temple. And then we find them in chapter 2 in a, in a very... Um, well, we can understand where they get to. They get to a place of discouragement, and that's where we find them here. Let's begin in verse 1 here of chapter 2, and we're going to consider here what God has to say to them and then ultimately to us. On the 21st day of the seventh month, Haggai is real specific about the dates because they are very important. Because he tells them in the first chapter, mark this date from here on, I'm going to start blessing you. Because they started building, which is what he sent them there to do, of course. Chapter 2, he gives them a very specific date because it was on the one hand, a very exciting day for them and also a very sad, depressing day for them. Like I said, they're in discouragement. So this particular day is dated 21st day of the seventh month, which worked out to be about October, their seventh month does, just to kind of give you an idea where it is. The word of the Lord, it says, came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, so the head guy in the governmental sense, and then the head guy in the religious sense, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, to the remnant of the people, in other words, speak to the leadership so they can speak to the people. Here's what you want them to say. Who is left among you, he says, who saw this temple in its former glory? Speaking of Solomon's temple, the one that had been destroyed 70-something years before. Glorious temple. Made out of cedar, made out of dressed stone, covered in gold, uh, engraved, uh, just... Everywhere you look, it's either gold or silver or burnished bronze. Just an amazing architectural feat. Just, just gorgeous. He says, how many people were here to see this? And of course, there's some old heads in this group that would have said, yeah, we saw it. And now, now he does a comparison. How many of you saw this in former glory, and how do you see it now? See, that's where their discouragement is. Their discouragement is the fact that it used to be gorgeous, and guess what it is now? Something less, you can be sure of that. They don't have the money that Solomon had. They don't have the workers that Solomon had. They don't have the skill, depth that he had to, to draw from. And so they're having to settle for basically a shack compared to the beautiful temple that had sat on this place for 400-some-odd years. They're having to settle for a whole lot less. And by the way, whose fault was it? Yeah, you see. Don't you like people to dredge up your sins because it just makes you feel better? right? You keep a list of all the sins you've committed on your mirror just so that you could stay humble, right? Like it's those demotivational uh, uh, posters that are, uh, that are out there. Of course you don't do that, right? Jesus has cleansed us of our sins. He's forgiven us. He's made us right with him. And he doesn't want you to keep a list of those sins because he doesn't. 
But nonetheless, in their case, they're building this temple that is an everyday reminder of how they messed up. Everyday reminder of that it's never going to get any better than this. The most we can do, the end result is going to be mediocre. And so, you know, that doesn't make for a bright day, per se. He says, does, does it not seem to you, at the end of the verse 3, that like nothing in comparison? And, and I would have to say, yeah, it pretty much did. God's basically putting his finger right on what's got him really in the doldrums. Got him really in the blues. And it's hard to work so hard to think it's going to end up mediocre, but he's going to give them here encouragement. And, and, and by the way, just, just back to the date here, which is significant. The 21st day of the seventh month is the end of their festival, their last holiday of the year, which is called the uh, uh, Tabernacles or Sukkot. The, the 21st day of the seventh month is, is that day. But it's significant not only for the day of when it's celebrating in their yearly calendar, it's also significant because exactly to that day, 430 years before, Solomon had dedicated his temple. So it's a happy day, and then until you see the temple, that's nothing at all like Solomon. So this is a tough day for them. Tough day to be reminded of what it should have been and what it could have been and how they messed up, and now what they're having to settle for up on top of this hill, which is something far less. It's a tough day. So God begins from this point on, verse 4, to encourage them. He points out their discouragement, and he says, now, we're going to put an end to that discouragement. Here we go. Take courage, he says, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, he says, for I am with you. Part of the message we need to get here, as we all need encouragement here, I can guarantee you, is that God is with us, never leaves us. Notice he says, effectively, I've been with you since the beginning. Verse 5, as for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, that's the beginning of their story. I have been with you. I would always, my spirit would be abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, speaking of their yet future, even yet future for us today, he fast forwards to the very end effectively. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations to where? Back to this temple. And I will fill this house with glory. So you're upset about what you're building. It's not about what you're doing as much as it's about what I'm doing, God says here. And that's significant. And when we consider the work of our hands and the things that we're doing and our, our endeavors to serve, serve God, it seems like it's so small, right? Well, let me just encourage you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what he's done, doing through this. Be encouraged. Notice God says, verse 8, the silver is mine. How much of it? All of it. All of it. So, so, so you're building a little rock shed out here, and we're going to call it a temple, but guess what? I know how to dress this place up because all the silver is mine. All the gold is mine, he says. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Even as good as Solomon had it, it's not going to have it as well as this temple. The place that I will, in this place, I will give rest. I will give peace, he says, declares the Lord of hosts. Interesting story about the temple that they built, like I said, which was a shack compared to Solomon's. But the stones that they were laying... 
became the foundation, and the walls they were erecting became the superstructure of the renovations that Herod would make some 300 years later. Guess who walked through Herod's temple? The Son of God himself. The same walls, the same stones. Now, as good as you had it in Solomon's temple, would you rather have a bunch of gold and silver, or would you rather have Jesus in your house? You see what I'm saying? So he's saying, don't... Don't think that just because it doesn't look like Solomon's stuff that it's not going to be as exquisite, or if not, better. I'm able to make it more glorious. And like I said, then he fast-forwards all the way to the end, of course, which is the final culmination of all things, as he blesses the Jews and blesses the nations through the Jews. So, so it's a story of encouragement. God knew that they needed it. And let me just say this to you, if you sit in a place of discouragement today. God knows that you need encouragement. The goal of this sermon, or the girl I believe what God has placed in my heart of this sermon, is to give you courage. And so I want you to hear what I've got to say to you, what the scriptures have to say to you, so that we can collectively be encouraged together. So we are all in need of encouragement, right? Especially when we're, we're doing the right thing, especially when you're doing the right thing. See, so, so prior to this, I didn't have my priorities in line like the Jews did, but now I've got my priorities in a line. Everything's going to fall together, right? Hello? Go, go around. There they go. Well, he was knocking. That's really nice. That's why we don't have a doorbell out there. We've got a door over there, too. You can knock on that one, too. We won't open it, but you can knock. So, so you, you, get, you get your act together. You start serving God. You start doing everything right, and everything just falls together for you, right? Pay raise goes up. Your... your, your Mortgage gets pays off, your family gets happy, all your kids start obeying, right? Isn't that right? No, quit watching those televangelists, man. They're not telling you the truth. Actually, if you want life to get harder for you, start living a right way in a wrong world. You're swimming upstream. And I'm not trying to discourage you any more than you already are discouraged. I'm just trying to say we shouldn't expect things to be... It's going to be a struggle, all right? We, we live in a tough world. We live in a world where it seems like evil and sin are winning, does it not? We also live in a world where I don't have to have evil and sin in the world. I got evil and sin in my life. Struggle. Every day I fight this notion that, that says, uh, like someone says, uh, make sure if you're going to get behind that you get behind early so you'll have longer to get, catch up. Sort of like that's my heart, you know. Let's get behind in a meaningful way, don't you think? Back to those encouragement posters. So, so it's not just getting our priorities right and then everything is going to fall into place because we have to deal with discouragement. And I've titled this sermon because I didn't make it up. I came from somebody else. Uh, fatigue of the soul. Got to fight fatigue, right? But fatigue of the soul is some of the worst there is. Fatigue of the soul. And there, there's some fatigue that's, that's inevitable. In fact, it's to be expected. Fatigue physically. Uh, why do you sleep? Because you get fatigued. It's, it just happens. There's no way to, to continue to go without recharging your batteries. And same true physically, it's also true mentally. We get mentally fatigued and the same thing. Sleep is a great thing. Vacation is a great thing. Taking some time out and just, just, just refocusing yourself, right? But then there's another type of fatigue that you absolutely have to avoid at all costs. And it's called soul fatigue. It's a weariness that you should not ever allow in. Because once it gets in, it's hard to get rid of. I'm going to show you a, a verse that tells you not to just try not to. It says absolutely you have to avoid this. Let us not become weary in doing good. Are you weary today? The Bible says don't let yourself get there. Well, I'm already there, Pastor Bill. I know. 
I know there's an answer for those who've already slipped and fallen into this stuff. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, when is the proper time? Whenever it happens. The proper time is the proper time. The, the way you know when it's going to happen is as soon as it does, you'll know. The proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You find yourself in the giving up place? Listen, we're here, we're gonna, we want you to be encouraged. God wants you to be encouraged. God wants us to be encouraged. The fatigue of the soul is a dangerous thing. Here's what happens as we become fatigued. I, I have the uh, soul fatigue when I start thinking of... Um, that doing the right thing is not worth it anymore. Find yourself there? What's the use? What's the use? It's not, it's not worth it. I have, I have soul fatigue when I, when I quit serving in any kind of ministry and I just come to church to take and not to give. Happens. It happens. But it's not a place you need to be. Don't let it happen, it says there. Don't let it happen. I have soul fatigue when, when I think that doing good doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't, my little bit doesn't matter. What's the use? There are so many others that are doing so much more, and if I let off in my little area, it doesn't matter anymore. You have soul fatigue, my friend. And you shouldn't let that happen to you, but if it has, God's got a word of encouragement for us today, I believe. Fatigue of the soul is caused by a number of things, and not just these generalizations I'm going to make, but could this possibly be one of the things that's going on in your life? Fatigue of the soul is caused by a number of things, not the least of which is divided affections. Divided affections, what does that mean? It simply means this, chasing after the things of God, at the same time chasing after lesser pursuits and trying to balance those things. You're going to get tired doing that. You're going to become soul-fatigued trying to accomplish that. One of the areas where we try to balance things constantly is the trying to look good and trying to actually be good. Which one does the Bible recommend? Worry about being good, not your image. But if I'm constantly worried about my image, I have this personality that gets a mile wide and only about this deep, right? Happens. It happens. So, so I'm spending so much time maintaining the image that I have that I have no time to reflect the image of God. That's a problem. You see, that's, that's a, I, I'm in conflict in myself. I want to look good, but then I, I, I want to, of course, maintain the image of, of God in my life as well. Listen, you're going to have to choose one of them. You can't do both. You're going to get really weary trying to hold up both sides of these things of appearing, appearing good in the world and actually being good according to the standards of God. You're going to have to choose which one matters. And if you, don't, if you try to go down both, riding the fence, listen, it's very exhausting. It's very exhausting. So, so maybe that's an answer for you. Maybe another area where, where we're conflicted, where we're divided in our affections is trying, trying to get most, the most out of life. I only get to go around once. So, so I need to get the most out of it, right? If, if one of our goals in life is to be entertained and yet still serve God, guess what? You're going to be conflicted. You're going to get exhausted. Because that's exhausting. The fence is an exhausting spot. If, if I have to make every play and every movie and every concert and every sporting event and play golf every week and fish, of course, every week. I'd do that over golf anytime. Go out of town every month, listen. And then at the same time, 
have in my heart, which is there because I belong to Christ, this desire to serve God, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be exhausted because I'm dealing with the constantly the temporary pleasures of things which God has placed there, yes, to enjoy, but at the same time, this eternal inside of me that says, you need to be making a real difference, Bill. Riding that fence, I become exhausted. You can't be, listen, a full-time consumer and a full-time contributor. you got to pick one. Either I'm going to contribute to this life or I'm going to consume in this life, but I can't ride the fence between them. And if I do, I'm going to become exhausted. I just am. So let's talk the rest of our time about what the cure is. And there's many ways to become soul fatigued and maybe nothing that we did at all making all the right decisions. We just got caught up in the circumstances of this world, and it's brought to the place of fatigue in our lives. And so let's talk about the cure, and the cure is going to over here in Galatians. Starts off with a negative, ends with a positive. We've already seen the positive side of it, Galatians 6, 9. But let's back up and talk about 7 and 8, because they're, of course, related. They're 6, 7, 8, and 9 are related to each other. Do not be deceived. And if you don't think this is true, you are deceived. God cannot be mocked. Now, I never thought God could be mocked. Well, maybe you never thought that, but did you think this? That a man, that you won't get what's coming to you if you do what you shouldn't do? Well, if you think that, then you do think that God can be made a fool of. So I live out there as if God doesn't see what I'm doing, and I expect there's no consequences. Well, guess what? God is not going to be made a fool of, by his own kids especially. You're blind. This is not a, not a question to the lost people this is a question or a statement to the saved people it's a warning to them saying listen don't think that there's not consequences for making bad decisions don't think there's not a consequence for not following i knew what the will of god was and i didn't follow it but there's not going to be consequences for that because jesus died and paid for my sins and let me just say he did die and pay for your sins but in the process of dying and paying for your sins he never guaranteed there wouldn't be consequences in this life for being a big dummy okay and we know that, don't we? I mean, it's a principle of sowing and reaping, is it not? A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to, the, to, to please their flesh from the flesh will reach, reap destruction. It doesn't mean you necessarily fall over dead. Sometimes you wish you could. Sometimes it's, destruction is just, you know, my job, my family, my marriage, my this, my that. You start reaping stuff because you've been sowing. Uh, you're, you're, you're amazed at the wild oats that have been coming up in your life, but that's what you've been sowing. Shouldn't surprise you. So you're reaping tomorrow what you planted today, and so the good question we need to have is, what are you planting? Because don't think you're going to plant one thing and get another thing. I'm going to plant bad stuff, but I'm going to get good stuff. No. There is, a, there is a principle here. There is a principle of reaping and sowing. You cannot escape the consequences of sin. Nobody gets away with ignoring God's will without consequences you do not if anything you're guaranteeing being a child of god that you're going to get the consequences see it's one thing for a child of god to do what they shouldn't do it's another thing for them to get away with doing what they shouldn't do don't you agree parents people here you got kids right it's one thing for my child to disobey me it's another thing for me not to call their attention to it and make an example out of it that's what a good dad does you see you think god's a good dad yeah. So can we be certain of the consequences of me running down the wrong road? We can be certain of that, can't we? The real point of this, by the way, we always read this verse because, and get on, just like I'm getting on to you, we always get on to people saying, you better watch it. 
You better act right because this sowing reaping principle is 100%. The problem is we don't go on and apply what the real point of this whole is. It's not a negative, it's a positive. He's trying to make it very clear. So we believe the, the reaping and sowing of making bad decisions and reaping bad consequences. We believe that. But do we believe this with the same veracity, with the same confidence, the reaping and sowing in the positive direction? That if I sow good things, that good things come? Do we actually believe that? So we think 100% of the time, if I sow bad stuff, I'm going to reap bad consequences. We believe that. In fact, we love to preach that to our kids. Better watch it. You're going to get it. How much did we preach the story of, but if you serve faithfully, if you give yourself to God, forgive me, religiously, loving people and loving God and serving Him and staying at it day in and day out because you believe the same principle that tells us that the reaping comes either way, whether it's for good, whether it's for bad, whether it's for righteousness' sakes, whether it's for pleasure's sake, there's still a sowing and reaping principle that is 100%. Do you believe that? See, there's a positive direction to this. Nobody gets away with doing, going against God's will. Listen, no one gets away with doing God's will either. That is in a positive sense. No one gets away with it. So, so in your mind, as a servant of God, you're serving him and you're, you're looking for, believing that God's going to bless this and yet you're seeing no fruit and no movement in the hearts of people and no lives seeming to be changed. And so you think, well, God's missed it. It's not going to happen. What's the use? It doesn't matter anyway. My little bit, my little time, my little energy, my little talent makes no difference. I might as well quit. It won't even be missed. And listen, you have forgotten the Scripture speaks both positive and negatively with regards to reaping and sowing. You reap positive good things, guess what? It says you're going to reap. Again, we saw this earlier. But there it is at the end of, well, let's, let's back up and look at it by itself. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked, right? I mean, oh, wait, wait. One more. There it is. Let us not become weary in doing good. That's verse 6. Just a second. <laughs> Let's just look at the whole thing. It's just one, it's one movement of Scripture. Verse 7 gives way to verse 8, which gives way to verse 9. I underline right there, let us not grow, become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, when is the proper time? Whenever it is. When the fruit starts bearing, that's how you know. And it's not until then. It's not before then. It's not anywhere else but there. For at that proper time, right, right, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we believe in the reaping of the negative consequences. Do you believe in the reaping of the positive consequences? Because they're held up the same. If you believe in this one, you have to believe in this one. And the main point is this. Do good so that good comes. Do good so that there's a harvest. Do good so there's positive fruit. Do good so God can bless you. Do good because that's his desire. He doesn't let you miss out on the negative consequences, right? He's a good dad. He's not going to let you miss out on the positive consequences. Be encouraged. Be encouraged in the work you're doing and the work you've quit. And the work you're contemplating quitting. Don't give up. Continue to serve. Continue to do. You cannot escape the consequences of sin or the privileges of surrender. You can't escape them. 
because the one who is in charge of the harvest is seeing them through. Either way, the fruit of the future is determined by the seeds planted in the present. I'm shopping tomorrow, listen, by today's decisions, by today's commitment. I'm shopping. It's coming in the mail, right? Anybody like to order from uh, Amazon? Isn't that cool? I'm shopping. It gets here. By the way, they're going down to one day. I don't know if you know that because they're having to compete with several people. They're going down to one day delivery. Isn't that great? So it's better than Walmart. I mean, I just click a button and it's here tomorrow. Shopping, shopping for tomorrow, right? With the choices I make today. True for Amazon. It's true in life as well. It really is. So based upon the seeds that you're currently planting in your life, what will you be reaping? What will be coming in tomorrow? Let, let, let this principle of sowing and reaping fight your soul's fatigue. Again, consider what it says here in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. No one ever planted an apple seed today and expected an apple pie by the end of the year. What are you expecting out of this? This is not just to switch metaphors on you. This is not day trading in the, in the stock market. I throw my money in, at the end of the day, I come out with a profit. No, this is the long-haul investment. Invest early, invest often. Trust the one who returns the dividends. It's not dependent upon the NASDAQ or, the, or the whatever the Chinese market is. It's not dependent upon that. It's dependent upon the one who controls, listen, the reaping and the sowing. Trust him. Serve him. Believe him. It takes patience and faith to see it through. Back to the planting of the, of the apple tree. You've got to plant that thing and weed it and fertilize it and water it and prune it and debug it for months and years. But if you're faithful, guess what? You get your apple pie, don't you? You get it. You do. We had a reaping and sowing event that took place here in our church in uh, recent weeks. I was gone to Israel at the time, but um, we had a young man that attended services here and then came up to see us in our offices, a man that we had ministered to, and I've been here for a long time, like eight, eight by the way, to beat everybody to the, beat everybody to Bass Pro Shop, you've got three days until I've been here for 18 years. So it's been three days, the 8th of, of May, 18 years ago. 12 years ago, though, we were ministering. So I've been here for the long haul, and we've seen people and kids and come through this ministry and many cases, many cases wondering, oh, if this person even lives through the year, it'll be a miracle. Some cases um, didn't turn out so great. Other cases, though, turned out miraculously. In the case of this young man, a young man that had come through our ministries, had been through our children's ministry, had been through our youth ministry, junior high ministries, and he was a mess. He was from a, a tough home. Uh, he had been abused emotionally, uh, physically. Uh, he didn't have any support. Our, our church and the ministries of our church were basically the only thing that he had. And uh, we had him on a, on a suicide watch, right, Irma? I mean, this kid was just, he was struggling. And, and I'd have to say, he had every reason to struggle. He had almost nothing going for him. And legality problems, you know, with the border and all this stuff, just had all kinds of things going on with his life. Well, he came back to our church three weeks ago, and I wasn't here, but he came to see Miss Irma. Miss Irma had more ministry to him than I did. In fact, he had reasons not to trust men because men had been, had been just terrible to him in his life. Coming to this sweet little, little uh, at that time, uh, just a financial secretary, but, but youth, youth minister now, and uh, 
coming, coming to her and just speaking to her, this is just three weeks ago, he's now 26, 27 years old, he's married, he's got a couple of kids, he's in the military, uh, his life has gotten straightened out, he's, he's getting himself uh, right with God and, and really seeking him. By the way, Irma, when I was asking you the question about, you know, to make sure I had my story straight before I get up here and tell the people something that isn't true, Valerie reminded me that, that years ago, and this is just a thought, and we can talk about it later, but uh, she got his name because at that time we passed out the names of the youth throughout our, all, all the church, and every church member got a name of a kid or a couple of names of the kids, and we put them in our Bible, and we prayed for them, and he, she got his name, and she's been still praying for him. And again, what were we doing with this kid? What, what we try to do with all of our kids, for all the people, sowing into their lives, ministering them, caring for them, even though in the back of our head saying, I don't see how this kid could be. Only the miracle of God could help this child. Only the hand of Jesus could rescue this person or this individual, this, this situation. Well, that's what he's doing. We were sowing seeds, and we get to eat pie now, you see. We get to eat pie now because we were faithful to him as much as we could possibly be. And obviously, individuals make their own decisions, and, and it's not totally up to us. But nonetheless, our job is to minister. Our job is to care. Our job is to believe that the God of the harvest brings the fruit in season, right? Whenever it happens, at the proper time. And so, is that the way you're living? Listen, that's 12 years ago. We haven't heard a thing from this kid pretty much since then. Where is he now? Well, he's not a kid anymore. He's grown up, and he's got his own kids, and his life is being changed, and he recognizes how this church gave to him and, and cared for him and put up with, really put up with him in many ways. And, um, and God's got a lot more of that going on out there, but it's available to all of us. I want to tell you a story because y'all are listening so slowly here. Here's, I'm going to end with this. You know, Preachers always say that, and then it's three hours later. A guy by the name of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was part of a missionary movement that took place here in the United States and in Europe back in the 1700s called the Great Awakening. David Brainerd was a lesser known among those missionaries. He was a young man in Massachusetts, born and raised, and he committed himself to be a missionary to Native Americans and felt God calling him to the frontier. Well, frontier back in colonial days was New Jersey and Delaware. And that's where he went. Delaware Indians in the southern part of New Jersey and went and just basically gave himself as a young 20-something-year-old uh, to the ministry there. And he went and witnessed to these Indians and he served them and he did the best that he could and he couldn't hardly get them to move off of dead center. They didn't believe him. The reason why they didn't believe him because he was an American. He was one of these new immigrants to their country and he had seen the greed and the nastiness that, that we could be. And so, of course, they didn't want that in their lives, and they didn't want his message either. And so he served among these Indians for two straight years with not a single convert, not a single person. All this time, un unbeknownst to anyone else, he's keeping a journal of all the things that he prayed and all the things he asked of God and how his heart broke for the Indian people, the, 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 the Native American people. And after, after three and a half years, he finally had his first convert. And in that three and a half year, in that last half year of his ministry, he saw 250 people or around 250, 300 people come to Christ. The reason why I say that's the last year of his ministry because after, after about a year after that, he died. He contracted tuberculosis there among the Indians and he passed away as a 29-year-old. With what to show? 
He'd gone there with commitment, like I said, putting God first and serving him. And like I said, if you watch the televangelist, if you do all that, your whole life comes together. You get to live a long life and you make tons of money and you're healthy all the time and all that stuff. Not David Brainerd. Passed away at 29. The lung disease. Well, someone found his memoirs, his journal, and they published them because they thought they were spectacular. And they began to send them out to different people and these journals began to make an impact on the lives of individuals. It made the life impact on an individual by the name of William Carey. If anybody you know about the missionary movement, you know who William Carey is. All the way in England, this man called to ministry, so influential over the missionary movement of the eight, seven, late 1700s to the early 1800s, really the international movement of missions among all denominations. William Carey is like the poster child for this. Goes to India and starts a, starts a mission there in India, starts the, starts the first uh, school that awards um, uh, uh, degrees to Indian people, translates the Bible into their language, lives over there literally sacrificing his life. Married three different times while he's over there because all three wives died of disease they contracted in that place. Again, you want to talk about somebody giving their life to God? They did. When asked in later years what inspired him, of course, he gave credit and glory to God. He said, anything in particular that you spoke to, any pastor that you spoke to that really stirred your heart toward missions? He said, no. He said, the thing that inspired me were the writings of David Brainerd. A 29-year-old who gave his life seemingly for nothing, matter for naught, right? Been in heaven 60-something odd years by the time his, his memoirs, his, his journals had gotten out. And yet, look at the harvest. When does the harvest come in? When it comes. Maybe you get to see it in this life. Awesome. Well, like I said, we got to eat a little apple pie just recently because of the seeds we were planted. Maybe not in this life. Is that Okay. The God of the harvest, can you trust him both with this life and the next life? Hopefully that's not the first time you've heard that he's in charge of both of those things. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know where it's going to happen, but we know this. We know who's in charge of it. And the one who's in charge of it, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, will not let the hard work and, and the love and the dedication and the reaching out in the name of Christ, he will not let it go without a harvest. Do you believe it? Be encouraged. Pray with me, please. What we know, do not grow weary. Paul says to the Galatian church, in doing good, for we know that if we persist, we will reap a harvest. God, listen, cannot be mocked. He will not be made a fool of, either by, either by those who decide to not do his will, neither will he be shown a fool by those who do his will. We will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest. Be encouraged. It may seem like what you're doing is just going to be mediocre. And you don't see the fruit of it. Be encouraged. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're in charge. You didn't call us to be perfect. You didn't call us to be uh, amazing. You called us to be who we are with the giftedness and the ability that we have, with, uh, with the influence that we have. You put us in a place, God, where, and you just simply say, be faithful. Be faithful, trust me, serve. Serve in the power of my spirit to whatever 
reach that I give you, and I will bring about the harvest. God, we need encouragement. We need to hear you say that you're in charge of that harvest. We need to hear you say that even though it seems like what we're doing is just a drop in the bucket, that that drop matters when it's your bucket. That drop matters, the hand that divided uh, five loaves and two fish and fed thousands of people can take what very little we have to offer and turn it into a huge thing. So God, we stand today in need of encouragement every day. We stand today in danger of soul fatigue. We ask you, God, to restore us, revive our vision of what you can do through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.